The Bible reading this morning is taken from the letter to the Galatians, chapter 6, reading verses 11 to 18, and this should be found on page 1172 in the Blue Bibles in the seats. Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 to 18. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of God. Finally, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we have been at it since April, but today we come uh, to the end of our series in Galatians. Um, If you've missed anything, can I encourage you to catch up? Um, If you'd like to, you can do that via our YouTube channel. You can access that through our our website, or you can just search uh, straight on uh, YouTube. That's probably the easiest way to catch up in detail. This morning is going to be more of a concluding summary, if you like, uh, to the book of Galatians, to this letter. And it's almost as if uh, in these verses, 11 through to 18 of uh, chapter 6, Paul provides us with um, an essential summary um, of his message to the Galatians. A sort of essential summary. So here we are. And I want to tackle this this morning uh, by splitting it into two halves, really, okay? And the first half will track Paul's own summary, uh, allowing it to to remind us of some of the book's key uh, key themes. And then we're going to look um, at the challenge that Paul's summary, (laughs) essential summary, is to us. So we're going to track it, and then we're going to look at the challenge uh, of it. So if you haven't already, please uh, reopen your Bibles to page 1172. That will get you to Galatians 6. Warning, we're going to jump around a bit in Galatians. Okay, So I want you to track with me as we go through it, so we will be page flipping. So if you have your Bibles open there initially, uh, that would be great. While you're finding that, let me pray for us. Father, we do thank you um, for this letter, this letter that Paul has written. And we thank you for the way that you have been uh, speaking to us through it by the power of your spirit over these last few months. And we ask, Lord, this morning in faith that that would continue. 
Please give us soft hearts to hear what you have to say to each one of us, we pray. Amen. Okay. Paul's first point then is uh, why he's emotional. So when he's looking in this essential summary, he wants us to understand why he's emotional. Verse 11 of chapter 6. See what large letters I use as I write you with my own hand. Remember then that Paul's letter was addressed to a a group of churches um, in Galatia, what we now know uh, um, in the modern day as, as Turkey, uh, he preached to them in person. He, he'd set the churches up. He'd, he'd, he'd established these churches. He preached in person to them. And he was writing to them to counter those who, through false teaching, through the false teaching of saying that actually to be a real Christian, you've got to do certain things, such as be circumcised. He was, he was writing to counter that false teaching that was leading these new Christians, these Christians that he'd, he'd sort of helped uh, plant churches for. They were being led astray. Now, up until this point, experts, most experts, agree that the letter to Galatians is the result of Paul basically uh, sat there with his PA dictating the letter to his PA or his secretary, if you like. But this final paragraph is different. Paul picks up the pen for himself. Now, something he he might usually do, experts uh, 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 suspect, you know, to sign off his letter, a a way of authenticating what has come before. Sometimes he'd add a blessing, sometimes he'd add a greeting. But here we get a whole paragraph, (laughs) a whole paragraph at the end. So picture Paul dictating his letter, getting more and more passionate and more and more urgent about the implications of what has come before. So look back to 1 verse 6. Chapter 1 verse 6. Just go back a few pages. Chapter 1 uh, verse 6. And what does he say? He says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you. I'm astonished that you're going to a different gospel, he says. Then jump forward to three, three, uh, 3 verse 1. What does he do? He calls them foolish. You foolish Galatians. He says, I'm astonished you're turning to a different gospel. You're foolish. 4 verse 11 over the page. He's now worried by the time he gets to 4 verse 11 that he's been wasting his time on them. Do you see that? I'm astonished. You're foolish. Am I wasting my time, he's saying? 4 verse 20. He now says, I'm perplexed. I'm perplexed by you. And so by the time we get to 5 verse 7, he's more than a little bit frustrated. He's like, look, you know, you were doing, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you? You were doing so well. What happened? What changed? Who hindered you? So, verse 11 of chapter 6. I picture Paul reaching this climax and saying, you know what, give me the pen. (laughs) Give it to me. Give it to me. I want to underline everything that's gone before. I want to underline what's of most importance. In fact, it's so important that I'm going to write it in big letters. We might put it in block capitals. You know when you get an email that's in block capitals, you go, whoa, (laughs) this is, you know, someone's feeling strongly about this. I'm going to do it in my own hand to reinforce this. You know what, you simply have to get this. You've got to. Yes, Paul is emotional. And he's emotional because this is so important. The Galatians risk being led astray. And today, we need to ask a similar sort of question. Are we in danger of being led astray 
from what is at stake. So let's run through what Paul thought was at stake. Firstly, gospel truth. This is verse 14 uh, back in, in, in um, uh, uh, chapter, chapter 6. Paul's large letters here, as I've said, are probably meant to re-emphasize his main point. The one thing that he didn't want them to forget, which was the good news that he was a new creation. The good news that he was a new creation only through what Jesus had achieved on the cross and nothing from his own merit. Nothing by the good things that Paul had done. Just through what Christ had achieved on the cross for him. All Jesus, nothing of his own. Verse 14, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why is that good news? Well, because it's for everyone. If you remember, Jew and Gentile alike. In today's language, that means it's for you, whether you've been brought up religious or brought up as an atheist. It's for everybody. Chapter 2, verse uh, 16. Just going back a couple of pages. Chapter 2, verse 16. Reminds us that man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith. In Jesus Christ. In other words, it's not what you do on the outside that saves you. It's what God is doing on the inside, in the heart, through faith. And as if to underline this, Paul mentions faith no less than 24 times in his letter, mostly in chapters 2 and 3. But it comes up a lot. And it is faith only made possible through Christ dying in our place on the cross. Taking the punishment of the curse that we deserved. That's why he writes that amazing thing in verse 13 of chapter 3. Verse 13 of chapter 3. Sort of at the end of 1, isn't it? Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. You know, today it's difficult to appreciate the repugnance and horror, really, with which the cross was viewed in the first century. You know, we, we have the cross, it, it, it adorns our buildings, it adorns jewellery, you know, it, it's become a, a very anaesthetised in many symbol for us. But as one commentator says, the only thing comparable in our day would be venerating an electric chair or wearing a hangman's noose around our necks as a symbol of our religious devotion. That's the sort of thing it's supposed to evoke in us. Not some sentimentality. Can you imagine that? Having an electric chair on your necklace or a noose at the front of, you know, that's the important thing. And despite such a scandalous and some would argue foolish symbol, Paul insists, though, on keeping the cross front and centre of the true Christian gospel. A gospel that, as he points out right at the beginning in 1 verse 11, is not man's gospel. Do you remember he makes that point? This isn't something I've made up. This is the gospel of Jesus received through revelation. Yeah, Paul is emotional because gospel truth is at stake. Next up we see, though, Gospel implications are also on the line. So if you take a look at verse um, uh, 15, um, back in chapter 6, 
where he says that the biggest implication of the gospel is being a new creation. And Daniel read that for us. He he really emphasized that. It's a great emphasis to put in. This this is the heart, uh, the nub, if you like, of where Paul is going. He's been building to this description all through his letter. So again, just track with me through a few verses. 2 verse 20. Go back to 2 chapter 20. verse 20 it is no I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me something new I no longer live but Christ lives in me something new 328 328 there is neither Jew nor Greek slave nor free male or female why because you're all one in Jesus Christ now something new do you see it something new 4 verse 7, you're no longer a slave but a son. If you look at 4 verse 7, we're no longer enslaved, we are sons, we're heirs. Something incredibly new. Adopted into the most royal of royal families, God's family. And then perhaps the biggest implication um, to being a new creation we find is in 5 verse 1. What's the implication? It is for freedom that Christ has set you free stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burned again by a yoke of slavery paul is emotional because gospel truth is at stake not least in the implication that we are new creation something new and free in christ and this means something so finally for this first half of what we're looking at we see that it affects gospel application gospel truth there's gospel implications but it affects gospel application and we see that in verse 16 to 18 of chapter 6 where Paul highlights peace mercy suffering grace all practical outworkings of being a new creation we'll come back to these later but for now if we were to view the whole of um, Paul's letter as a sermon, just take note that most of the application comes after the, after the halfway point, comes really after chapter 3, where Paul effectively says, look, we're saved by the gospel of grace, and now we have to apply that and live the gospel of grace through faith. We're urged to follow his example. Before he says, for example, in 5 verse 6, uh, 5 verse 6, that the, the only thing that counts... The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Practical. (laughs) It's intensely practical. What are we going to do with this? How's it going to be expressed? In fact, according to 5.14, the whole of the law is fulfilled in one word. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so we're encouraged to walk in the spirit, to live by the spirit, being shown exactly the sort of attributes that bring In that well-known passage in verses 22 and 23 of chapter 5, where we see the fruit of the Spirit. And of course, this is is very applied, it's very practical. We saw last week in chapter 6, last Sunday morning, that we apply this practically by trying to keep watch on ourselves and keep watch on each other. We we look at, at how we support each other, we care for each other, we bear with each other, we carry each other's burdens, and we don't grow weary of doing good. 
So that's Paul's, if you like, essential summary, his guide, his summary to Galatians. He's emotional because gospel truth is at stake. He's emotional because we're new creations in God. It's amazing. That's the implication. And he's emotional because that should make a massive difference in our lives. There's the implication of that. Let's move on to, uh, on to part two, because I think um, as we look at verse 11 to 18 in a bit more detail, we'll see Paul striving uh, not only just to write these large letters on, on pieces of parchment, but he's striving to reinforce them and write them into his readers' hearts and their minds, by implication, our hearts and minds too. Part two, then, a choice and a reminder. Firstly, a choice. Here's the choice. Are we boasting in externals or are we boasting in the cross? Externals or the cross? Just read again from uh, verse 12 of chapter 6. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law. Yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. What's Paul saying here? Well, I'm sure you've heard the expression before. I hope you have. All the gear, no idea. Have you heard that? They've got all the gear, but they've got no idea. If you haven't, allow me to explain. Um, It's a phrase we use to describe people who equip themselves externally in the belief that such an external makeover will make up for the inner inadequacy. So I think of the mountain walker, who wears all the latest kit, they've got all the gear, they can't read a map, they don't know the first thing about a compass, they've got all the gear, but no idea. Or the golfer, you know, he's got all, he's got, he wears the right clothes, he's got the right uh, clubs and all the rest of it, he's got a Gucci buggy, but, you know, he chooses to use a putter uh, to off with it's got all the gear but no idea that's that, that that's what the phrase um, means and people can approach religion in the same way and Paul says that those who forced circumcision or a, a, a ceremonial following of of the law were pushing an all the gear but no idea kind of approach to true religion in other words it was all about show it was all about outer experience They just wanted to look good superficially, externally, more than they ever desired to be a new creation with a brand new God-loving heart. So how can we know if we're boasting in externals, in the superficial? I think Paul points to at least three things uh, in these verses that we we can use to check here. Firstly, we're boasting in externals When comfort is more of a priority to us than faithfulness. We're boasting in externals when comfort is more of a priority to us than faithfulness. Look again at verse 12 of chapter 6. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted. In other words, the false teachers were more concerned 
with preserving their own safety and comfort than they were about faithfully proclaiming the truth. What about us? Gulp. (laughs) We can prioritise comfort in all sorts of ways, can't we? Far easier to talk about God than Jesus. Don't mention the J word. That might just be a little bit too uncomfortable in a conversation. Don't risk the ridicule. Far easier to talk about coming to church, you know, what you did over the weekend, than to mention sin. Sin needs addressing in each and every one of us. Don't risk being called a bigot. Now, of course, as we know what Paul has been talking about earlier in the letter, we do so kindly, we do so gently, we do so appropriately. And all this, of course, assumes that we've got the courage in the first place to speak up, but at all, far too often it's just far more comfortable for us to keep quiet and say nothing. Far too often it is more comfortable for us to ignore the fact that something is unjust or wrong. Might draw our attention to that when we were hearing from Isaiah earlier. Something in the office. Something that's happened to a school friend. Something that's going on in our families. We'll just turn a blind eye to that wrong, to that injustice, to that inappropriate behaviour. That's one area of comfort. But what about the more obvious one of our lifestyles? I hope that none of us would be insensitive enough or crass enough to, to boast about our income or our holidays or our cars or jobs, at least externally. But what about when we start to do that internally and in our decision making? It's far better to trust in a healthy bank balance than risk returning some of it to the Lord for his work. Is comfort, whether that's relational comfort, whether that's materialistic comfort, whether it's spiritual comfort, is that more of a priority to us than faithfulness? Secondly, uh, we boast in externals when we seek the praise and approval of men, of others, more than we seek it of God. Those false teachers in in Galatia, they were trying to impose a mark on, on the body, literally a cut in the flesh. Why? To make themselves look good. Their thinking, their thinking is that that cut meant that the, 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 the more cuts there were, the more they could boast about how many people had been converted. The more important they were. If they'd converted more people, that meant they were more important. That meant that they should be taken more seriously. That meant they should have more influence. Human praise, human approval are a great temptation for us. We all like to be liked, don't we? We all like to be appreciated. And we should appreciate each other. We should thank each other. We should build each other up. We should encourage each other. But when we are motivated more by that than our obedience to the Lord, then then we're on a very sticky wicket. Thirdly, we boast in externals when we like to stress the laws we keep and minimise or downplay or hide We'll cover over the ones that we don't. Is that true for you? 
Verse 13 of chapter 6. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law. They don't obey all of it. Blink and you miss this point, I think. What Paul is saying is that these false teachers were emphasizing circumcision as proof that they were right with God. And yet here they are ignoring other laws that they couldn't keep. It's just so hypocritical. And yet here we are centuries on from these men and women and we are still tempted to do the same thing. We pick and we choose certain biblical commands and we make them a measure of faithfulness and a way that we can boast in the flesh and then we ignore other requirements because actually truth be told we know if they were used as a measure of faithfulness against us we'd come up well short. And so we might be able to bang on about drunkenness and yet we might conveniently forget about gluttony. We can hold up on a pedestal all those who remain sexually pure in whatever context. And yet we happily entertain a little bit of prejudice over here. Just to keep those who are different to us outside the circle. Or worse, we may throw up the smokescreen of our church attendance. How often we're at house group. Our public prayers. How we like to serve. And we use all that as a smokescreen for our inner anger. Our lust. Those violent thoughts that come out when someone really annoys us. Our hatred of certain brothers and sisters just because they're a little bit different to us. Our desires to control others, friends and family. And so we boast in the flesh, we boast in the externals of what we do on the outside to hide the horror of actually what is going on on the inside of our hearts and what is going on behind closed doors. And Paul says there is no room for such boasting. It's an ugly thing. An ugly thing to boast in the flesh and then pay only lip service to God. Isaiah, we've heard him quoted already, spoke of his generation, said of what God spoke of his generation 700 years before Paul wrote this letter. This people honours me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. We could paraphrase, in vain do we worship God, if really all we're doing is boasting and trusting in the flesh. Friends, Paul wants us to ask, are we boasting in the externals or are we boasting in the cross? You see, if we have understood our salvation correctly, we will know that the only one who gets any credit for it and for our ongoing um, life of devotion and, and discipleship, the only one who gets any credit should be Jesus. That's why we have verse 14. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, Christianity isn't about our achievements. It's not about what we can do for God. Whether that's here in focus as chopping off a piece of skin or whether it's for us attending every group or practice or whatever it is that we, we do and serve and way we serve in our church. Those things are fruit. They're not the root of our faith. How we pray, what we do, how we get involved, 
what goes on, how much we pray at home, how we, how we spend time with the Lord in his word. No, first and foremost, Christianity is not about what we can do for God to earn our salvation. It is all about what he has done for us. Now, I get that most of us know this, and we know it certainly up here with our heads. Our problem is that we don't actually live that out. And of course, this is in part what Paul's letter to the Galatians is all about, living in the freedom that Christ has given us through his death on the cross. But to do that in practice, we need to see what Paul goes on to say in the second part of um, verse 14. Because in the first place, it may I never boast except in, the cross of the, uh, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The new life that we have in Christ, this new creation, which we'll come to in just a moment, means that this world has nothing to offer that we need. Nothing. Notice that I say need. Not want. Not desire. It has nothing that we need. But there is, of course, plenty to entice and lead us astray. That's why Paul says at the beginning of chapter 5, stand firm. Don't let yourselves be burdened by this slavery, this yoke of slavery. How? Well, we get the how here. How do we, not let, how do we stand firm? How do we not let ourselves be burdened? The world has been crucified to us. So, when we are confronted daily on our front lines with the temptation to sin... And we've got to be honest, it is daily at least. When we are confronted with that temptation, whether it's from within, whether it comes out of us, whether we're being succumbed to stuff that we are receiving externally from the world, the only way to avoid it is to ask for God's help to crucify our interest in it. Help me, God! Help me! We don't entertain it. We don't analyse it. We don't massage it in conversation and, and, and investigation or therapy or something like that. We don't hide it away from others. We don't just keep it to ourselves. We don't, we don't just keep it secret. We ask God for his help to crucify it and get rid of it. We flee from it. And when we do, we find out that actually he's already done it. He's already done it. Friends, if you have put your faith and trust in, the, in what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross and through the resurrection, if you're boasting in that cross of Jesus, then you are a new creation in Christ. As I said earlier, this is the absolute nub, the heart of Paul's purpose for writing to the Galatians. You are, if you are trusting, a new creation in Christ. Paul is telling them that the only thing worth boasting about is being that new creation. Through what Christ has achieved on the cross. I will not boast in anything. No gifts. No power. No wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ. His death. And resurrection. Why should I gain from this reward? I can't give an answer. But this I know. With all my heart, his wounds have paid 
my ransom. We just sang those incredible words. And so having reinforced the choice we all face, Paul offers now one final reminder. Have you got it? Am I stressing it enough to you? Paul is saying, here is the reminder. You are a new creation. And I think Paul reminds the Galatians, he reminds us by pointing out four things in his concluding paragraph. Let me share them with you. I know there's been a bit of lists here, but they're on the screen. I hope, I hope some of them are, are sticking with it. Just stick with us. Four things here which remind us that we are new creations. Firstly, a new creation knows God's peace. Verse 16, peace. And mercy, we'll come to that in a minute, but peace to all who follow this rule. Peace. Those who are a new creation have peace with God. We're no longer his enemies. We're no longer at war with him. We're no longer in a, in a state of enmity with him. We're no longer strangers to his holiness. We have been made right with him because of Christ's death in our place. We are forgiven. Brothers, sisters, we are forgiven as new creations. But that, that, that forgiveness, that peace we have with God extends to the peace we have with each other. Because we've got peace with each other. We're free to love God by loving each other in the way that God has loved us. We have peace with ourselves as well because our anxiety about our performance is replaced with this wonderful knowledge that Christ has done it all for us. He's done it. You don't have to do it. He's done it. And we are adopted as I said earlier, into the royalist of families. A new creation knows God's peace. A new creation knows God's mercy as well. Again, verse 16. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule. A new, a new creation never forgets that God has forgiven us in his mercy. We were undeserving. And Jesus took our place. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. That saved wretches like you and me. Third, uh, a new creation authentically bears the marks of Jesus. Verse 17, Paul writes, Finally, let no one cause me trouble. Can you hear that in his voice? He's been so emotional. It's almost like he's just exhausted by it. Let no one cause me trouble. For I bear... On my body, the marks of Jesus. Friends, you don't have to have been a Christian for very long to know that it's tough being a Christian. To love the gospel, to try and live out the gospel, necessarily draws criticism from the world. It invites persecution. I remember some years ago now, one of my eldest sons questioning whether or not the Christian life was worth it. He said to me, Dad, I just don't want to be different anymore. I just don't want to be different anymore. He too had borne the marks of Jesus on his body. He'd been physically bullied at school, for his, partly for his faith. And on top, on top of that, at this point, he was working through issues of language and alcohol and sexual purity. That pull to be normal. That pull is, is, and, and to fit in is just massive. And it's a lonely place, humanly speaking. It can be lonely for us. It's one of the reasons why we gather together weekly and more if we can, so that we're not lonely. But I remember at the time taking him back to Galatians and reminding him of Paul's words to stand firm. 
to verse, uh, chapter 5, isn't it? To be considered worthy for sharing in Christ's suffering. Stand firm. Like Paul at the end of the, of the, of the letter, be considered worthy for sharing in these sufferings. You see, in all this positivity of, of peace and, and mercy and grace, Paul doesn't duck the issue that to live as a new creation involves suffering. Paul says, you want signs? Look, at, I'll give you signs. Look at my body. Look at, look at my health. Look where I'm imprisoned. Look at what it's cost me. But it's worth it. It's worth it. And fourthly, new creation begins in and through God's grace. And wonderfully, it continues in that same grace. That's why in verse 18, Paul writes in these big letters, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you, be with your spirit. The point is here, it's to be with. It's a present tense. You see, there is a, a big chance with all this emphasis on external flesh, bad. You know, that's all bad. <laughs> internal faith, that's all good. Keep it internal. You could be forgiven for thinking that Paul isn't interested at all uh, about externals and how we behave. But that's not the case. The whole point is that what is in the heart is then expressed through our words and through our deeds. And in that sense, what is on the outside does matter. And boy, do we need God's help with that, don't we? It does matter. That's why Paul lists those spirit-fueled attributes in chapter 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Again, though, we need to use that list to do our own analysis I can very easily read that list and go to the ones that I, I seem to be you know, half decent at. I'll quickly jump over the ones that I'm not. One author, author summarises the essence of Paul's letter like this. Paul's legacy is, therefore, a wish that the grace of God would be increasingly realised and that wherever external, and whatever external marks there might be, would be received not as an effort to impress God ritualistically, but as the natural result of true Christian service. Do you see that? It's not about what we do impressing God. We can't impress him. He's done it all for us. But it is the outworking of what he has done for us. That's what Paul is saying. So, in conclusion, let me ask, are you boasting in the externals of the flesh or in the cross. Never forget, never forget, St. John's, you are new creations. You are new creations, saved by grace, you're living by grace, you're walking in peace and mercy and sometimes even being found worthy to bear the marks of Jesus. Just like he did. And so may that grace, that grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, be with each one of us always. Amen. Let me just pray and then we're going to continue in prayer.
Father, I prayed uh, in faith that you would speak to us this morning. And I pray again, Lord, that even as we go from this place, I pray in faith that you would continue speaking to us and challenging us where we need challenging, correcting us where we need correcting, encouraging us where we need to be encouraged. And we ask it all not for any of our own sakes, but for the sake of him who died, who loves us, who died in our place and rose again so that we could be new creations and adopted wonderfully into your family. Thank you, Father. Amen.